Okay, good morning. I had the delight of riding to the women's retreat with Deborah Meadows, and she was the decorations chairman, and she had these stones in the van that we rode in. So I just asked her if I could borrow them because that's what we're talking about today. And so this is a visual aid, and um, I'm not trying to set a precedent of decorating the stage. It was just a, I, I just couldn't pass it up. So anyway, um, uh, I want, I'm pretending that I have on Emily Osier's outfit. And, and I'm pretending I have Nancy Tippett's hairdo. Okay, so anyway, we just had to get that out of the way. Okay, I want to tell you about my cousin, Anne. It's Anne without an E. And we grew up together, and our families always took their vacations together. We spent every Thanksgiving and Christmas and Easter. She taught me to make oatmeal raisin cookies. She was this wonderful example and role model for me. She, she had this sweet, gentle spirit, and she was tall and thin and elegant. She wore beautiful clothes, and she would give them to me as hand-me-downs. Now, Anne was five years older, and she was about two feet taller. And we were the exact same in the middle, okay? And so I wore these beautiful clothes with about two feet hems <laughs> the whole time I was growing up. And when I was in eighth grade, I got my last batch of hand-me-downs from Anne. She moved to Nashville, and she entered the St. Cecilia Convent and became a nun. And about two years later, she took her final vows, and for 57 years, she was clothed in a creamy white, long-flowing habit. I never saw her in anything else. I guess that's why they call it a habit. (laughs) But thank you for laughing. That was risky. Okay. A month ago, on September 4th, I went to Anne's funeral in Nashville. And she was beautiful in her casket. She had on her habit, not a wrinkle in her face, and and she wore a a veil. And I wondered, I, I don't even know if her hair turned gray. And she lay in the casket, and she had her hands clasped, and in her hands were her final vows that she took when she became a nun. She made the vows, they were taken and sealed up, and then they're placed in their hands when they're buried. And after the funeral, I was sitting out in the the cemetery there at the convent, and I was talking to Judy, and Judy is the wife of Anne's brother, my cousin John, and she's Catholic, and I said, Judy, did you ever think about being a nun? And she said, well maybe once, for about one minute. And she looked at me and she said, but Mary, you have to be called. And at that moment, I I felt very uncalled in the sea of white habits. And the way, on the way back to Nashville, I wrestled with that. I said, Lord, am I called? See, I don't have a specific calling. I don't have a title. I don't have a job that I work in. I'm actually still a woman wanting to know what I'm going to be when I grow up. And so this was a, you you know, I I kept, surely I'm called. I think I'm called. 
Well, when I came home, I started working on my lesson. It was about our calling. And I said, Lord, are you sure that I'm the right woman? Well, I've been so excited. And everything I'm talking about today, our call is Christian. Everything in this call today is for every woman in this room. If you're a believer in Jesus. And and I... I've started waking up like I'm, I wake up in the morning. How long can I stay in my pajamas? Okay, and I'm trying at my advanced stage to wake up and say, Lord, how can you use me today to change the world? Because that's what a long drink of God's word will do for you. It has a transforming power. So with that, um, we're going to go to our lessons, and I've called it Call to Be Living Stones. So, right here, you're going to remember it because you have a visual aid right here. And living stones that rock the world. And so, when we turn to 1 Peter 2, verse 4, we see that we're called to come to him as a living stone. We come to the living stone. Now, what what does it mean to come? How do we become a living stone? We come to the living stone. And there was um, a living stone, the living stone, just living stone. And I started kind of getting hung up. And the do I have an article here? But there's only one living stone, and that's Jesus. There's no other. So I can't see how that matters. But we have to come by invitation. You cannot come. No man, John 6, 6 no man can come except the Father draw him. So if you've come to the living stone, it is because the God of the universe has invited you. Now, that's pretty awesome. We come to remain, we come to worship, and we come into a union with him that is an enduring relationship. It can never be dissolved. So who is this living stone, and why did Peter use this analogy? Well, Jesus has all the solidity of stone. He's a solid rock. But he's alive. He's life-giving. He's the foundation stone of the church. He's the cornerstone that lines up everything in the right angles so it will be a solid structure. He's the rejected stone. And this means that men examined him They looked him over carefully. They saw that he was not the Messiah they wanted. They wanted someone to liberate them from Rome. They wanted someone to be an earthly king. And so he was rejected after being carefully examined. And that's hard, isn't it? He's a stumbling stone, a rock of offense, and he is still rejected today. But to God... He's chosen and precious. And we come to him, when we come to him for life, we become living stones as well. We come to him for salvation. And this is simply the call to be saved. We're called to be saved. We keep on coming to become like him. We come and become. We come and become. And as we come, we become like him. He imparts his image into us. And 
my husband was glued to the television for two days when John McCain's funeral was on. My husband's a Vietnam veteran, and he um, he sat he sat there for two days. And so I came in, and I heard this one thing. And his daughter, Megan McCain, was up there eulogizing her father, and she was weeping. She loved him so much. And she said this, Dad, your greatness is woven into my life. And I thought, that's it. Our Heavenly Father, as we come to him and become like him, he begins to weave his greatness into our life. And... You know, have you ever had someone come up and give you a compliment and you're thinking, who in the world are they talking about? Because that's not me. Well, they're talking about Jesus, see? And you can say that. You can say, well, that, if you have seen that in me, that is my Jesus. And so we can say with David, apart from you, Lord, I have no good. And and so he begins to live through us and love through us and speak through us and serve through us. He even worships God through us. So when we've come to the living stone, we receive wonderful spiritual privileges. And so our next calling is a response to that. We're called to romance the stone. Now, there was a... a, Thank you, thank you. That was risky, too. Okay, there was a a movie some years back, and it was called Romancing the Stone. Now, I never saw the movie, but I've always loved the title. And I thought, oh, yes, that's just a way to say love, love Jesus. And it has a little bit more of an idea of, let's think about how we can love Jesus. How can I delight How can I delight his heart? How can I romance him? So that is our next calling. And so um, in 1 Peter 2, 9, it says, But you are a chosen generation. Listen to these wonderful privileges. A royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that. Do you see that, that? That, that. Okay, that tells us we have all these privileges. So what do we do with that? that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Now, that's our first way to romance the stone. We proclaim his praises. And I want to tell you, this is kind of a long example. So I had a a one-year and one-month journey of my coming to Christ. And I I had a couple of obstacles I was 29 years old, and one obstacle was that I had mostly been in church all my life, and I had done a lot as a church attendee. I had coached a softball team. I had been president of a youth group, and I had been president of a women. I had just done so much. I had made a lot of casseroles. I had made a lot of cakes. And I, when I got in a Bible study, I heard that all our righteous deeds are filthy rags. If they, they're done towards salvation, we can't add to the cross. And I just didn't want to let go of all those casseroles. And do you, do you know, one day I made three cakes for a cake auction. I woke up my sleeping baby to go back to the store and lost her shoe. I'll never, I mean, it was just, I had done so much. And then my other obstacle, I had 
a wrong idea of God, and it grieves me today to tell you that I thought of God like this. But I had an idea that he was up in heaven, he kind of had his arms folded, and he looked down, and he kind of watched the line, like this is good, and this is bad, and if your toe goes over, he's going to write you up. And my toe had gone over the line so many times. And when your toe starts to go over the line, seems like every time it goes a little bit further. I was a very sinful woman. And I just didn't think that God, that God would have me. And so that was in my way. And I knew that I could not live behind God's line. And so... There were so many people, and especially two women, proclaimed his praises to me. And I had had my second child. I had a baby, and I came home, and a day or two later, a woman knocked on my door. I didn't know her, um, but she brought me some shampoo. I had ordered shampoo at a home party. Um, I don't remember much about it, but I did. And so here she was with the shampoo. And so she said... I am so sorry to be so long bringing this to you. And I said, oh, don't worry about that. I've had a baby. I'm just home from the hospital. Today is the first day I've been able to think about washing my hair. And she said, I knew it. Lord just knew that you needed this shampoo today. Well, you know, I'm this lost girl, and I'm thinking, oh, please. You know, and I wanted to really write her off. But that was rock the world for me because she declared the praises of a God who is wise enough to know that I need shampoo and a God who is loving and personal enough to care. Now, that, that was pivotal. And then I went back to Bible study, and, and it was at Sarah Butler's house, and this was 1976, and Sarah had new custom-made pinch pleat curtains. Does anybody remember custom-made? It was a law in 1976. What? I mean, everybody had them. And Sarah's were so beautiful, and she told me that the Lord helped her pick them out. Well, I thought that was so weird, and I went home and said to my husband, Sarah Butler is so weird. She said the Lord picked out her curtains, and we laughed, and we laughed. And, and Sarah knows that, but, but I, I started looking at my curtains, and I had taken my swatches all over the neighborhood. Will you help me? What do you think? Da, da, da. And I thought, you know, I think hers look better than mine. And this little question came up. Is there a God who would have helped me with my curtains? Now, that sounds, that was, see, that was necessary for me. And you may think, oh, that sounds weird. But declare his praises. And if God is putting it on your heart, say it. Let him deal with what that person thinks about it. You see, it was so important. They changed my wrong idea of God. So in a very real way, in a year and a a month. Now, the, this idea of coming, it talks about coming to a focal point. That's one of the meanings of the Greek word. And so, as I was on my journey, you know, there'd be a, a word here, a person there, a, a Bible verse. And, but toward the end, it was like God was everywhere. I was just coming right down to the middle. And even I would wake up in the night and I would almost hear, come, 
come. And so I literally ran into the arms of a God who cares about shampoo and curtains. Now, he has a line. He has a line. He's not light on sin, but he gave me a desire to live behind that line and the power to do it. So that, um, so that was all about proclaiming his praises. Okay? Now, the next thing, next way we romance him is we long for his word. And I'm going back to verse 1 and 2. And um, I am really jumping around, and I'm standing on the authority of John MacArthur. He said that Peter writes in cycles, that he'll make a point, he'll make another point, he'll cycle back to amplify the first point. Therefore, he's very hard to outline. So if John MacArthur said that, I just want you to know that there was not much hope for me. But anyway, um, in order to long for his word, we have to go back to verse 1. We lay aside, it has a list of those five relational sins, malice, envy, slander, etc. Okay, um, when we open God's word, it convicts us of sin. And if we're not willing to lay aside sin, we don't want to get in God's word. And so I thought, well, how do, how do we... Peter just says, lay them aside. And I thought, well, how, how, how? And he doesn't tell us how. And so I think the way this is written, we just don't have any part of them. And then we, the void, the void that's left, we, we put God's word in there. We long for God's word. And Peter calls it the pure spiritual milk. And there's a, he's talking about a mother's milk the perfect right substance that's given to nourish the infant so that that infant will grow. And this is not the way, there's a couple of times Paul talks about spiritual milk, meaning is for immature believers. He contrasts it with meat. Well, that's not the way spiritual milk is used here. It's used as the perfect thing. God's word has what we need to nourish us. So, um, in other words... When God looks at you, this is how he ought to see you. you, Is there a photo? Okay. All right. Thank you. Y'all are doing so good laughing. I couldn't ask for a better. better. Okay. Um, Now, um, so when we've come and when we're romancing him and when we long for his work, we realize that God has placed us in a body. We're called to be bodybuilding stones. And this is in 1 Peter 2, 5. You also, as living stones, are being built up into a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Now, I'm taking this verse in two parts. It's my next two parts in my outline. Um, we have in, in verse 5 this beautiful picture of the corporate body of Christ, each one of us as a living stone taking our place in our assigned spot in perfect relation to Jesus the cornerstone. And we're growing up together into a spiritual house. You know, the temple is made of living stones today. It's not a building. We are the temple of the living God. And so, as Cole Huffman, if you're in this church, reminded us over and over and over and over, Jesus Christ comes with his people attached. 
we've been exhorted to put aside these relational sins back in verse 1 because they're going to upset the body. And even on on Sunday morning, um, I was thinking about the body, corporate worship. Usually we have an hour and 15 minutes on Sunday morning to worship corporately with the body. Some, I mean, I think we're doing that today, and sometimes we have more. But if I walk into church and I have a relational sin against someone else, it will upset my worship and everyone else's worship. So God is really serious about this. And sometimes we may have to, um, you know, repent and, and restore relationships. But a, another thing that, that I... Um, was convicted about in this lesson is that if I am going to worship corporately with the body on Sunday morning, I want to make sure I've worshiped. I want to prepare for worship on Sunday night, the night before. I want to, um, I just want to, to take this really, really seriously. And um, I, I want to come in and know my priestly calling. And as we are are functioning in the body of Christ, the next thing the verse tells us is we're called to be a holy priesthood and a royal priesthood. And and I would love, really have loved to talk about that a lot more. And one thing one thing I read in in Howard Hendricks book about teaching to change lives, he said a good teacher, and I certainly don't even claim I certainly don't claim that, but he said you don't give them a neat little package all tied up. What you want to do is just get them to want to start learning. And so um, if you want, if you would read about the priesthood and it's so wonderful and all that it meant for them to know, because the priesthood in the Old Testament was only, you, you had to be a Levite, you had to be born into it. And so how much did it mean to a Jewish believer that they were called into a Christian priesthood because that was something that would have been off limits to them. There are just so many things. And and I wanted to call this, um, um, we're called to bear the stones on our heart because you know how the priest was dressed with the 12 stones and, and they had the names of the tribes of Israel engraved in those 12 stones. Now, no one knows which tribe was engraved on which stone. Isn't that interesting? I thought that was so interesting. But, um, you know, as priests, we just go in with, with names on our heart, and, and, and I have names on my stones. You know, that there's a, a lady I met in the Mexico City airport named Chloe, 1997. Chloe is one of my stones. I take her before the Lord. I'll never see her again. But, you, you, know, just, um, you know, just things that, that we can bear on our heart. And so I would, would just encourage you to study the priesthood and, and what all the clothing meant and so forth. And, of course, um, we're, uh, what I did end up calling my, my outline about the priesthood is that we are called to be sacrificial altar stones. I don't, I don't like that. I don't like sacrifice. I want to run from it. But that's what we're called to. And so back... Um, in the Old Testament, of course, the priest made animal sacrifices. And then we know Jesus was the once and for all sacrifice for our sin. And that's a big thing for me. I had a lot of it. And we don't sacrifice for sin anymore. 
But we sacrifice out of love. We sacrifice to romance a stone. And so we're, we're called to, to make sacrifices. And, there, and this word, this word we have um, three times in the New Testament, it mentions spiritual sacrifices. And the first one is Romans 12, 1 and 2. We offer him our bodies and our minds as a living sacrifice. And um, this was in our lesson. Um, Hebrews thirteen fifteen. we offer him the praise of our lips, continual praise to God. And that would be private praise, that would be praise within the body, and that's public praise. Praise before the lost and dying world. In Hebrews thirteen sixteen, it says we are to do good and share. And um, that's, see, I, if I had only made those casseroles on the right side of salvation, they would count. So anyway, I just want to tell you that whatever you've done over here, it, it counts, all right? If you've done it with a pure heart. Okay, so um, share, this share translates to give aid and money. So we're to do all those things, and we're also to pray, we're to evangelize, so forth. But um, I just thought about how sad it would be if we lived really sacrificial lives and we offered sacrificial things to God, but they weren't the ones he wanted. We know we can build in wood, hay, and stubble and watch our works burn up at, at believer's judgment. And so... What will make our sacrifices acceptable to God? Well, we say, this thing that I'm doing, I mean, maybe it's you volunteer somewhere or maybe you teach a a class or whatever. Um, Is it consistent with the character of Christ? Is it consistent with the word of God? Is it something that will further the kingdom of God? Is it kingdom work? You know, at this, this, I mean, I'm on the home stretch, girls, and I want my life to be about kingdom work. Now, sometimes I choose lesser things, and I don't know why, because I don't want to, but I just sometimes fail to, thank you, fail to grab the, the greater thing. So let's just ask God, Lord, put me in kingdom work. Okay. Now, I'm going back to that later on. Okay, our next thing, our next calling. We are called to be a rolling stone. Now, Peter addresses us as sojourners and pilgrims, and that means we're just passing through. We're on our way to somewhere else. And I think that it's not as much about a place. Now, you know, there is that, Lord... I want, you to, I want to be willing for you to pick me up and move me somewhere else. I want to be willing for that. And that's a great thing, and that's a sojourner. But there's, there's a heart attitude that says, I am just passing through. I am not entrenched in this earth. And if you want to, if you want to know your calling as a sojourner, I can tell you what to do. Go to an estate sale. That's all you have to do. I went to an estate sale. There was a reason I went. It was several families. And one of the families, I don't know if they didn't have time to go through their stuff, if they didn't have anyone with a shred of sentimentality in their family, or if they they had all died. I don't know. But I know there were degrees, degrees 
frame degrees representing chunks of someone's life, awards. There, were, there was even a stack of flyers when the little boy lost his cat. And I thought, I've got to get out of here because I could just see someone going through my stuff and stuff that I've dusted, painted, moved it around, all that. Y'all, we're sojourners. So let <laughs> us ask God to give us that heart and lift us out of being entrenched in the here and now. Kingdom work. Okay, now our next calling. We are called to be living stones on stage, and that translates to being a rock star, doesn't it? Okay. Now, he tells us this, this passage is book, bookended with behavioral things. He starts off saying to lay aside these, these relational sins, and then he ends with abstain from fleshly lust. He's gone back to our, our conduct. And he talks about our conduct among lost people and that they're going to want to speak against you as evil, but they may by your good works, which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. In other words, we're on stage. Someone's watching you. And our duty is to display good works, and God will confront people with their need for repentance. And it may be that he'll use your work to lead them to salvation. Now, it may be they're going to be judged, but next week we have an example of a wife's conduct working toward the salvation of her husband. So it very well may be that the day of visitation is going to be the day when they're going to be saved. I don't know that. That's something else you can look up. But um, and, and I did look it up, and I don't think anybody knows it, but you might be the first. So anyway, um, but we need to. And I, I heard when I was a new believer, I heard a man speaking, and he said, now you can't, just, you can't just act good before people because they're not saved by your life. They're saved by his death. And that is so true. We need to tell them the gospel too, but we want, but it, our conduct matters. Okay, and if you knew, now if you knew today that someone was watching you and that God was going to really use that in their life to save them, wouldn't it make whatever trying situation you were in, wouldn't it make it worth it? Well, well, he is. He's going to use that. Okay, now I'm going to tell you, um, I'm going back and I'm going to kind of wrap this up with a long example. Um, Last Tuesday, I got up and I thought, Lord, how can I stand there and teach? Give your body as a living sacrifice? That's not how I live my life. And how can I teach that before those women? And so I kind of thought he was calling me to do that. And so I said, okay, Lord, I, I present my body to you today as a living sacrifice. And understand, I don't do this. And so don't think I'm bragging because you're going to see how much I'm not. But anyway, the first thing I did, I went to Town Village. It's a retirement home, and I teach a Bible class there on rotation. And I taught the class, and there's a 97-year-old lady that said, I'm sure you don't have time to come to my apartment and help me hang up my pictures, do you? (laughs) And I said, well, I've got 45 minutes. 
So I went to her apartment and we figured out her pictures and we had a lovely spiritual discussion. It was a precious time. And so um, I left and because I the next thing that happened after I laid my body out on that altar of stones, um, I got a text from Jenna Ferguson. She's a dear friend of mine and her mom was in hospice. She's now with the Lord. And she said, mom is, mom is just entering a new phase not going to be long. And so I said, Lord, would you help have me go to hospice to encourage my friend Jenna and hold the hand of precious Mary Fergus, who's been in that Bible class for eight years. And I felt like, you know, he, he was calling me to do that. So I headed to hospice. And because I had helped the lady with their pictures, that was my time I was going to eat lunch. So in that, you know, that was kind of sacrificial, and I thought, well, I I said I was a sacrifice, so I guess it should be sacrificial. So anyway, so I go to hospice, and um, I I stayed until it was time to pick up my grandchildren. And and I was serving my daughter by picking up the grandchildren, and so I, I got lost trying to get out of this little square building. I'm very directionally challenged. And so it it made me kind of late. And you know how every traffic light seems like an eternity. And I'm, you know, da-da-da. So I am sprinting up the hill at Richland Elementary because, I, you know, I want to be there when they get out. And so anyway, I'm going back to that. So we, um, it's Tuesday. So Tuesday is happy hour at Yogurt Mountain. So we head to Yogurt Mountain, and no one could be happier than I, because remember, I didn't have lunch, okay. So we get to Yogurt Mountain, and there's a homeless man standing there. And he said, do you, do you have any, any money so I can get me something to eat? Well, I, I didn't have money. I had a visa, 35 cents probably. And I said, I don't have money, but come in and have a yogurt. You know, I'll buy you a yogurt. And he said, well would you buy me a sandwich next door? And so I looked next door and it said burger joint. And so I said, I will, but let me get the yogurt first. So we get our yogurt and so we come back and it's Mary, Nora, Ezra, and the homeless man going in the burger joint. And so he said, "Um, I would like to have me this special burger and special fries and a cookie. And then he said, and I'd like to have me a drink. And I said, what kind of drink? And he said, oh, Coke, you know. And I said, oh, okay. So anyway, we get, get his lunch, and I realized that I haven't even introduced myself. And I said, now, I'm, I'm Mary Ewing. And he said, I'm Kenneth. And I said, Kenneth, I want you to know that this meal is from Jesus. And he, he looked really excited about that. And so we, um, we, we left, and... And my son-in-law picked up the children, and then I, I do this once a month, once a month, okay? Um, I take lunch to my cup of tea in Orange Mound, but it just happened to be that the next day was my day. And so I went to Kroger because I take taco salad every four Wednesday, fourth Wednesday. It's taco salad. And so I went to get my, my food and um, came home from Kroger, and it's time to go to bed. And so I, I said, Lord... I've really learned something today. You're serious about your word. You really believe what you write in this word. 
because I knew that I had laid my body out as a sacrifice and he took it, okay? It was different. Now, I know that's not that sacrificial, but I had this sense that God was, God was doing it. I didn't know what was going to happen. I didn't know what my day would be like. And it was different. It was different. It was exciting. And it made me realize how many days I live into myself. Okay? So, girls, let's do this. Let's give him our bodies as living sacrifice. And I believe, I really believe that we can, can rock the world. Okay, now I want to go back to sprinting up the hill at Richland Elementary. Okay, now remember I hadn't had lunch and it was hot and I could have had a heart attack at my age, but I was doing this. Now, why? Why did I do that? That school is big and my grandchildren are little. And when they come, when their day is over and when they come to that door, I want them to see my face. I want them to know that I showed up and that they're going to get home. I want them to know they haven't been abandoned. Okay, now, abandoned. Okay, now, why do we do this? Why do we do all we do? Why do we come to the living stone? Why do we love him? Why do we sacrifice for him? Why do we evangelize for him? Why do we care, care about our conduct? You're going to see his face. There is a day when this is going to be over and we will see his blessed face. He will show up for us. He's coming. We will not be abandoned. So I want to leave you with this wonderful promise from 1 Peter 2.6. And, and as I read this verse, I want, to, I want you to think about what that meant to Peter to write it. You know, Peter, Peter denied the Lord. He was forgiven. God said, feed my, feed my sheep. And this book is part of it. Peter stepping into that calling to feed his sheep. Um, this, here's the verse. Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious. And he who believes in him will by no means be put to shame. Living stones will never be put to shame. Let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, thank you so much for your precious, precious word. Lord, um, it's true. Lord, put us into a sense of our calling, Lord. Anchor us in our calling. And we, the women in this room, will rock the world. It may not be big ways. It may be small ways. But there are life-changing things that you would have us do. And Lord, as we um, have this food, thank you for it. Lord, um, we bless you and praise you in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen.